0: Cool. Well, we are back today in our series in Ecclesiastes. Uh, I'm so glad that you've joined us today, whether you're sat here, whether you're over in the uh, overflow room with the under twos, or whether you've joined us online. I hope that you are going to find this helpful and strengthening as we get back into Ecclesiastes today. So we are in chapter 5, reading from verses 8 through to 20. Uh, and we're going to continue. It's been a couple of weeks since we last looked at Ecclesiastes. So just as a, a quick reminder of what it is and why we're doing it, there's an Old Testament book written by King Solomon. Uh, and really the the book charts Solomon's quest to find meaning, to find satisfaction in life. And it, uh, he records for us this kind of quest that he went on as he explored kind of women and wine and wisdom and wealth and everything that the world had to offer in the search for fulfillment and satisfaction in the search for meaning and as we read through this book together we kind of join Solomon on his quest and we see uh, what his findings were what worked was it was it wealth that brought him satisfaction was it relationship with women was it wine and hedonism and the pursuit of pleasure what was it that worked for him Uh, and so today we're going to read from chapter 5 verses 8 to 20 uh, and you'll see what it's about as we get into it so if you've got your bible i want to encourage you to go ahead and open it up and read along from there if not the verses will come up on the screen Uh, for you to read them and the same for you at home they will come up on the screen but if you do have a bible please do open it up to ecclesiastes chapter 5 we're going to read together we read this from verse 8 on if you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness do not be amazed at the matter for the high official is watched by a higher and there are yet higher ones over them But this is gain for a land in every way, a king committed to cultivated fields. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income, for this is also vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of a labourer, whether he eats little or much. But the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. There is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt. And those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is the father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, so for he will not much remember the days of his life, because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. I'm going to pray, and then we'll begin to unpack that a bit together and see what it's all about and how it applies to us today. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we trust that it is your word and that that every aspect of it was breathed out by you for for our good for our teaching and rebuking and training us in righteousness that we might be equipped to live for you lord that we might have wisdom to live in this world the way you designed us to for our good and for your glory lord i pray that as we read today and as we seek to understand and apply it would you give us ears to hear would you give us hearts receptive to what you want to speak to us? We say, Holy Spirit, would you be at work amongst us by your word today? Amen. Good. Well, let's dig in together. As we kind of read it all in one chunk, you can find yourself reading and being like, Whoa, what? Like, what is this all about? But I hope as we kind of break it down and, and walk through it, It's going to make a good deal more sense. And we will uh, find it to be greatly profitable today. So Solomon begins this chunk of his writings by saying these words. He says, If you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness, do not be amazed at the matter. For the high official is watched by a higher and there are yet higher ones over them. He says, If you see oppression, if you see injustice, well, if, I mean, we don't have to look far, do we? Yeah? You just turn on the news, just spend any amount of time in any given week in this world and you will see in a myriad of ways oppression and injustice. historic and present injustices and oppression that we've even seen a lot about in the news lately. Whether it's racially motivated or for some other reason, we don't look far to see such stories in the news. The problem is easy to see, isn't it? But how about the solution? (laughs) We rightly want a solution when we see injustice, don't we? I'm sure there is no one in this room, in fact, no one I've ever met, who comes across injustice and goes, nah, (laughs) like we instinctively want a solution when we see genuine injustice. And we instinctively want to believe that there is utopia, achievable, for us to realise that there, there could be a time and a place, a moment at which there is no oppression, no injustice, no lack, no suffering. And we look at ways that that might be accomplished. So much of what occurs in life is people striving for that utopia. They believe it's possible and people place their hope, we place our hope in different things that we think will lead us there. We can be inclined to believe that if we restructure stuff like it's the it's the systems or the structure that is the issue and so if we restructure things then that would fix the issues there's a big theme in america at the moment isn't it i'm sure many of you will have seen on the news over the past months increasing marching and protests people chanting and pressing for defund the police. Now, whether you agree with that or not, the reason that they're doing it is that they believe that this system, this structure, if it was reorganised or got rid of and then built in a different way, that they could remove oppression and injustice. Now, that may or may not help, but actually when we look through history, we see all too often that actually this kind of restructuring just transfers the problem rather than truly dealing with it. New systems get established and soon enough they too carry injustice and oppression perhaps at a different group in a different way but the problem doesn't actually go away. Whatever we try it doesn't seem to truly work in a lasting way. Why is that? Because that is grossly frustrating, isn't it? Why is that? Well, it's actually because people are the problem. (laughs) And people are sinful. And our motives, at best, are mixed. Every one of us. Our motives, at best, are mixed. Now, the scope of injustice and oppression is, is broad, But Solomon here zeroes in, particularly on oppression of the poor. Well, how do we address poverty? He says, if you see it, if you see injustice, if you see oppression of the poor, well, we do. How do we address it? Well, I mean, very quickly, a couple of the more common solutions that people have fought for in recent history were communism. How about that? Well, you know, the redistribution of wealth seems perhaps on the surface like a, a good idea. Well, if, if nobody had too much and nobody had too little and we just leveled it all out, well, good thing, right? Then they wouldn't really be poor and neither would they be ridiculously rich. But that experiment's been tried and it doesn't really ever end very well, does it? Why not? Well, because actually it's corrupted by selfish and greedy people the tenth commandment do not covet is precisely unfortunately often the driver in that economic political system people who don't have covet what others do have and so they seek to find a way of leveling it and really taking that for themselves Envy and division abound. Well, what about if you push right to the other end of the spectrum where there's, some people would argue, capitalism? Well, that's, that's a better solution for dealing with the issue because th- there's freedom within that. People find it attractive because it offers the promise that the future will just keep getting better. That's, that is the essential promise of capitalism that things will just keep getting better and will keep getting wealthier and that everyone can if they work hard if they would just apply themselves can move on up. But that also doesn't really ever seem to deliver what it promises and the general trend is that the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. Profit becomes prized over the well-being of others the poor too often get caricatured as undeserving and lazy see these systems we could look at others all one way or another eventually just continue to breed injustice and oppression however good the intentions at the outset these external systems don't ultimately work whatever external controls we try to impose on people in order to eradicate oppression and injustice or inequality in society don't truly work it's frustrating right and Solomon knew it and so he says if you see oppression guys don't be surprised because sinful people sin against people and act in self-interest and he explains it for us a little bit he points out that that bureaucracy just compounds oppression because people report to people who report to people who all bring their sin and selfishness and greed to the table that's what he says he says like don't be surprised because those people report to those people who report to those people it's what he's pointing out to us so what do we do then we just go well, don't don't be surprised and we shrug our shoulders at injustice and oppression and be like well hey i'm not surprised the bible said don't be surprised Psh, i'm not surprised is that what we do no no because he he adds here a but <laughs> and we can easily miss it but it's so important he says this he says but this is gain for a land in every way what is his solution to oppression and injustice and these layers of bureaucracy where people sin compounds on other people, compounds on others, what does he say? What would be gain in every way? A king committed to cultivated fields. Under the reign of a just king, the land flourishes and everyone benefits. That's what he's saying. So is that saying that we need a monarchy and that's what we need to do? We need to give the power back to the royal family and that would be the answer for a flourishing society. No, (laughs) just in case that's what you're thinking. No, that's not what he's saying. For the writer of Ecclesiastes, the king points to God. The king was God's anointed leader in Israel to rule justly over God's people to it's not supposed to help us put our trust in a man or men or man-made systems it's supposed to turn our eyes to God to put our trust in him his ways it's supposed to ultimately help us see that we're not to trust in people but that we're to place our hope in God not to place our hope in political systems or economic systems, but to place our hope in God. See, it's not that economic or government systems don't matter. They do. As Christians, we should care about those things. They do matter. It's not that they're unimportant. It's not that we shouldn't engage. But it's this. It's that first and foremost as Christians, we are to live under the rule of a just and perfect king king jesus and we find comfort in the fact that of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end our primary allegiance is to the king king jesus And as such, we are called to be good citizens of this land and to obey the law, which we're trying to do with all of the various measures that we've got in place today. But actually, we are called first and foremost to live in a way which honours and reflects the goodness of our true king. To live in a way... That's driven by a desire to please our true king. What pleases the king? We find in scripture, I and mean, we talked about it a few weeks ago. About what, what do all the law and prophets hang on? To love God, so to love the king, and to love our neighbour as ourself. Or to put it another way that we find in the Old Testament, to, to act justly to love mercy and to walk humbly with our God. You see, we don't hope in political systems to fix the problem, because ultimately they won't. No political system can ultimately deal with the problem of the human heart. Only surrendering to the King of Kings can address that problem. Only finding new life in the finished work of Christ Jesus can address the deepest problem of the human heart. Political systems won't do it, so we don't place our hope in them. But neither do we shrug our shoulders at the problem. No. See, as those who live under the rule and reign of Christ Jesus, we should work for justice. We should be those who care for the poor who care for the orphan and the widow, who speak up on behalf of those who can't speak up for themselves, who guard our hearts against prejudice and judgment of others, against pride and selfishness. As Christians, we're called to be those who recognise and respond to the radical generosity of our King by being generous to others. See, political and economic systems might try and fix some of that problem through taxation and benefits with the welfare state. That's not ever gonna really fix the problem. But actually those whose hearts are captured, captivated by the generosity of their great king, who in turn respond in generosity to others. Well, that makes a huge difference. We don't kind of part with our money begrudgingly, but we gladly and willingly give to those in need because God has met us in our deepest and most profound need. We extend grace to others as we've received grace from him. See, everyone benefits when we live under the rule of the king that's what Solomon's trying to get at here everyone benefits when we live under the rule of the king Solomon wants to remind us that when we put our hope in man and man-made solutions we'll be disappointed and frustrated don't be surprised at injustice right it's just like don't be surprised at it and to further make his point, he goes on now and in the rest of the verses we're going to read together today. He helps us to see particularly how money has this draw for us and how so easily and so quickly we, we put money in this place in our hearts where we believe that if we just had more, that would fix the problem. We would be satisfied if we could just have that bit more and he wants to help us see as probably the richest guy that ever lived that money is also not the answer. We read in verse 10. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money. Nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is also vanity. It's a pretty blunt statement, isn't it? It's just like, look, you love money. You, you place your hope in money. You believe that money is going to satisfy you. Well, you will not be satisfied with it. Loving money, longing for more, constantly believing that the accumulation of more things is the answer is just foolishness. See, we instinctively want to argue against that point, though, don't we? Like, not completely, but we instinctively kind of want to push against it and be like, well, I don't know. Like if I had a bit more, I think I'd probably be happier. Like if I didn't have to worry about, I'm not just so you know I'm not saying I do have to worry about this to be clear before I say it, but I have done in the past, but you can think, well, I don't know if I didn't have to worry about where the rent money was coming from at the end of the month, I, I think I'd be happier. I think I I would be happier. Remember, the man who wrote these words, King Solomon, was the wealthiest and most successful king ever. He had it all. And he wants to warn us that 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 isn't the answer. It doesn't work like that. You see, certainly in the UK, we have more comfortable and more affluent lives than any generation before us right now we have access to opportunities and experiences that our grandparents could couldn't have even dreamt of opportunities to travel the world i mean pre-covid just ignore that for a minute but (laughs) like just cast your mind back seven months (laughs) the opportunities to to travel and explore the world in completely unprecedented ways opportunities to to experience foods even from corners of the world that just like a hundred years ago, people couldn't have even dreamt that that would be possible. All these different things, and COVID restrictions aside again, an absolutely astonishing level of personal freedom, actually, again, more so than, than any generation previous probably. Very few things, for better or worse, very few things that if you wanted to do it, you couldn't do so. Incredible freedom. And yet, we are no happier. (laughs) In fact, mental health problems and depressive illness are more of an issue than ever before and continue to rise see at first this seems to make no sense to us does it we look at that and you just think how how can that be we've got more than anyone before greater opportunity greater freedom to do what we want to do and yet we are less happy than ever how does that work see the evidence points to the fact that actually Increasing pleasure and diminishing pain or comfort doesn't actually lead to greater happiness in the long run. Why is that? Well, it's partly due to a phenomenon psychologists call the adaption principle. And King Solomon wouldn't have used those words, but he understood it all too well, having amassed incredible wealth and enjoyed all of these experiences that other people think, man, if I could do that, like that would be great solomon understood it this adaption principle is a a posh way of saying that over time we adapt to our circumstances both good and bad and actually in those circumstances after a period of time we return to a normal state of happiness psychologist jonathan Haidt gives a a really extreme example of the adaption principle at work in some of his research he set up a, a thought experiment in which we're asked to imagine the best possible thing that could happen to us and the worst possible thing that could ever imaginably happen to us. And suggest that many, many of us would say winning the lottery would be the best possible thing that could happen to us. That would just, like, if I could pick one thing, I'd win the lottery because that would give me the freedom to do all the other things I want to do. I'd do that. And many, many of us would say that being paralysed from the neck down would be the worst. In fact, actually many would rather die than become paraplegic. But the shocking truth is this, that actually a year after either of those events taking place, research shows that your happiness level would return to normal. The lottery winner, beyond about a year, would actually be no happier than the paraplegic. And the paraplegic no more miserable than the lottery winner. Isn't that interesting? You might remember, actually, we spoke about some of this a few weeks ago. And likened this life in the pursuit of wealth and more and more and more to be like running on a treadmill. And that has some of this about it. See, just as the treadmill can get faster and faster while you don't actually make any progress or go anywhere, the same is true with money or pleasure or other experiences that we pursue. In fact, the more you have, the faster the treadmill goes. And actually, the greater the eventual feeling of frustration at making no real progress. I'm (laughs) running, tens of the dozen, I'm running, but I'm just not getting anywhere. I'm consuming all of this, more, 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 and not actually getting anywhere, finding no lasting happiness. Solomon says, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money. More and more just isn't the answer. He goes on in verse 11, it says, when goods increase they increase who eat them and what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes now this is a slightly clunky sentence that you read and you just go what like when goods increase they increase who eat them what (laughs) essentially what he's saying is it's like the more you have the more other people want it and have some kind of claim on it. And that's not actually a very pleasant experience. The teacher's point here is that you, you think if you had more, that you'll just get more and more and enjoy it to yourself, to your satisfaction. But generally, what you discover is that the more you have, the greater weight of responsibility on your shoulders to steward it and As he points out here, the more everyone wants a bit of it. And that might be people who befriend you because of what they think they may get from you. See, when you have nothing to give, you've not got a penny to your name, people aren't in a friendship with you because of what they think they might get out of you. But when you're incredibly wealthy, well, that happens. Or maybe it's just the government taking more of a cut as you push through the next tax bracket. Maybe you've had that experience at work, you get a pay rise, you're like, yes, and then you realise it tips you into the next tax bracket, and you think, oh, that's not as good as I thought. Or maybe it's the never-ending stream of bills as you're... Lifestyle changes and you try to maintain it the money just seems to evaporate it's one of those things with money it doesn't seem to matter how much you make you spend it you see it come and you see it go but it doesn't have to be like this it doesn't have to be like that and solomon goes on and he wants to to give for us an illustration of a person he says it doesn't it doesn't have to be like that we read from verse 12 he says sweet is the sleep of a laborer whether he eats little or much but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep he wants us to see that actually in some ways the poor laborer who is content with what he has is better off than the rich landowner the laborer works hard and gets to bed tired after a good day's work and he sleeps well in contrast though this rich man who's living in leisure who already has the frustration of that experience of as this isn't as fulfilling as i thought and as goods increase the demand of those who want to eat it and want a piece of what i've got has also increased actually he doesn't sleep so well because of his overindulgence and scholars kind of argue a little bit over exactly why it is that he doesn't sleep well and exactly what the language around here means whether it's uh, just the the kind of cares that consume him because of the weight of responsibility maybe it's a, a slight paranoia that people are out to kind of get him and get his wealth or maybe it's just he's gorged himself on rich foods and his diet of all the best things that the world has to offer And he lies there in bed with a full and churning stomach. Like, I don't know whether you've ever, like, probably, I shouldn't admit it, but like, to my shame, like, I've been there after a really big takeaway. Maybe you've experienced that, and you get into bed and you're like, I could, like, sleep. I can barely move, like, just trying to get comfortable. And maybe that's the rich man's experience here. See, having more isn't actually the answer. Solomon wants to be very clear, but learning to be content with what we have, it's a huge lesson that we need to learn. And Solomon uses one final illustration to drive home the point here, he says this, there is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt, and those riches were lost in a bad venture and he is a his father of a son but he has nothing in his hand he came from his mother's womb and he shall go again naked as he came and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand this also is a grievous evil just as he came so shall he go what gain is there to him who toils for the wind moreover all his days he eats in darkness in much vexation and sickness and anger See, this kind of fiction character that Solomon paints for us, this man, a father with a son, hoards selfishly what he has for himself. He's the lover of money that believes it will satisfy him. He's the, the rich man who goes to bed and struggles to sleep because of his indulgence hoarding it trying to build up more and more believing it will give him comfort and security and in his greed he enters into some kind of business venture kind of speculative venture to try and get more i mean the the guy's already got lots more than enough this is the picture that we've got here he is a wealthy man with far more than he needs and yet he in a business venture looking to get yet more and it goes wrong and he lost it all and now he'll die empty-handed leaving nothing as an inheritance for his son how foolish how could he do it chasing this thing that would never fulfill him and he loses everything And moreover, until the day he dies, Solomon tells us he lives just consumed by bitterness and anger about his loss in darkness. It's tragic, isn't it? I tell you what, I'm sure some of you can relate to it in some way. I'm sure some of you maybe know people who've been almost in that exact situation. I've known a few guys. It could be about them looking for a get-rich-quick scheme, on a good salary, but always hungry for more. I know one guy in that situation who then speculated on markets, trying to get rich, and just instead ended up with absolutely monumental debts, completely ruined him. Having more isn't the answer. Constantly striving for more, therefore, is a fool's errand. Solomon wants us to know it. He wants to be clear. But Solomon doesn't leave it hanging there. He wants us to know one really, really important thing. See, political solutions won't do it money isn't going to do it but godliness with contentment is great gain indeed and that leads us to his concluding point he says this behold from verse 18 what i have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun and the few days of his life that god has given him for this is his life everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. He will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. In other words, whether we have much or whether we have little, we are to learn to be content and to live with gratitude to God and our ultimate joy and satisfaction comes not from the content of our days but from knowing god and delighting in him in fact in the grand scheme compared to the joy of knowing god everything else pales into insignificance notice that last sentence he says he will not much remember the days of his life those things don't weigh that heavily for him in the grand scheme Because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. You see, the only government that will bring lasting peace is the government of Christ. And whilst treasures that money can buy don't truly satisfy us, the treasure of eternal life in the presence of the one true king is a free gift. God's riches given to us, given to you, At Christ's expense, at Calvary, Christ gave his all for your greedy sins, for my greedy sins, that your shame might be dealt with and your burden lifted, your conscience cleansed, that we might know what it means to live under the reign of the just and generous King of heaven as those for whom he has provided in the most complete and comprehensive way. What did Solomon say at the start about the rule of the king? This is gain for a land. It's gain for us in every way. A king committed to cultivated fields we have a a glorious king in heaven who is thoroughly and wholly committed to the fruitfulness of his people so as rich comes to lead us in one final song i want to invite you to come to king jesus today do you guys want to come up i want to invite you to to step off the treadmill stop trying to find fulfillment in things that won't cut it to stop striving for satisfaction in things that won't last and instead to come to know what it means again to find true and lasting peace in him i'm going to pray um, ritual leaders lord we recognize our tendency all of us to, to pin our hope in in all kinds of things to to fulfill us and satisfy us lord we, we acknowledge that we, we so quickly look to political solutions or we look to to people who we think will bring those things to us or we begin to believe that if we just had that thing or if we just had a bit more money or just we could just get that or just this or just the other lord we recognize that that pursuit is this just endless treadmill that takes us nowhere and Just leaves us breathless and exhausted thank you jesus that you came and you came to give us a free gift of life and life in all its fullness that true joy true peace true fulfillment true meaning is found in you and you alone jesus we look to you again now and we say we we want to step off that treadmill of trying to find satisfaction elsewhere and we want to stand and just rest in you and your finished work that jesus you have done everything necessary for us to be brought into relationship with god and to enjoy you forever lord would you flood our hearts with your peace again today would you help us to know that our truest delight and satisfaction is in you and you alone That we were created for a relationship with you. All else leaves us hollow and empty. We look to you again, Lord. And we say, fill us by your spirit today. Amen.